The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week 15 edition of A Good Football Show. I'm your host, Patrick Darty, joined as always today by Mr. Denny Carter. We're going to take a spin through the week's biggest news, including Rashad Penny's breakout, Justin Fields' sort of improvement, and Cam Newton's struggles. We will then welcome in NBC Sports Edge contributor Chris Allen to check in on some players who have excellent setups for the fantasy playoffs. But first, Denny, I told you this is a topic I didn't really think you need any prompting on. I'm just kind of wondering, what are your thoughts on Christmas shopping and the Christmas industrial complex? What What are your, I'm assuming, cancelable thoughts on this? Right. Yeah, I I, I could uh, end up in prison after this. But uh, do people shop anymore? I mean, do do people actually go physically into a store? And well, it's shop? funny. I did that over the weekend, and I got real life lulled at by like a few people. I told <laughs> like, yeah, my brother and I went Christmas shopping. It's been like a thing my brother and I have done for years. It's like a bonding, like. Yeah, let's go to the mall. I try to find something for mom and dad. And yet people were lolling at me. Right. Yeah. I, I, I haven't interacted with a human outside my family face to face for two and a half years. So, you know, it's uh, uh, I, I can't imagine going to an actual store. Uh, so I, I remember, you know, before kids, uh, I, it was a, a little less uh, pressure packed. I feel like to go to go shop because you could take your time. You didn't have as many people to shop for, you could focus more on your estranged wife, everything, you know, it was all, it was, it was all, it's so much easier. This is going to be the gift that gets her back. This is the gift where she's coming back to data. Exactly. Uh, They say, you know, two years salary for that ring and, uh, (laughs) and, and you're, and you're set. I stole that from Michael Scott, of course, but the, yeah. And, and, but with kids, it is, it is different. we're, We're in the phase right now where, um, quantity matters a lot more than quality to the kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, like quality of gift doesn't matter at all to my children. So um, they just put the Mercedes Benz in the trash. Yeah, it's like just a matter. Of, kids are freakishly strong. I just lift the brand new car you gave them <laughs> and put it in the trash. It's a it's a matter of numbers. Okay, it's uh it's analytics for my kids, and, <laughs> and it, they, they 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 will count. They'll count one, two, three, four, five, and whatever the number is. They're going to compare it to their cousins, to their friends, and that's what that's what matters. So we're still in that phase, which isn't isn't the worst. It means that you can buy a bunch of cheap gifts. That's true. I remember that as a kid, like showing up, and if there wasn't like a mountain of presents, I'd be like, "Well, this is a scam." Yeah, like this is a ripoff. And then my parents were like, "You don't understand. We got you an iPod." I'm like, <laughs> what? I, 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 "This is true. I actually got an iPod for Christmas, I believe, in 2003." And I was like, "Wow, wow I didn't think anyone actually used these. I like thought these were like dumb." And I mean, it did change my life, but don't get me wrong. I was upset that there wasn't like, yeah, like forty ten dollar gifts for me, and yes. just this iPod. Exactly. I remember I was like, uh, I was like seventeen or something when I when I first realized that my days of of quantity uh, were over for for Christmas, and I and I came down, you know, to the tree, and I'm like, oh, okay, so we're not doing that anymore. We're not. You're not just showering <laughs> me with a bunch of little gifts. You're getting me the one the one good thing i mean it's a, it was a solid thing whatever it was you know piece of clothing whatever uh a but band uh, saw yeah exactly uh but it was it, the, the the days of me getting 15 20 whatever you know we sound so spoiled you know, right right now but uh but it's true i mean there is a cutoff point as far as age goes 
I think I still sort of secretly push for volume without realizing it. I always ask for like five or six books. And <laughs> I was like, yeah. This, and, and then like, there's been a several times. I mean, I wish I shouldn't admit to this in public. I'm in my thirties. Like they would get my family or my wife, they would combine to get me like all but one of the books. And in my head, I'd be fixating on the one they didn't get. Like, man, that's the one I really wanted. Oh, to read. You're, like, <laughs> you're, that's the worst. That was the one I really God. wanted to read. And, oh, uh, man. That <laughs> so, well, that, so, like, uh, now I have started, like, actually, right? Like, yeah, act, please actually do get this one. And so, uh, all, all speaking of books for Christmas, all of all, I, I can't help but notice over the past 10 years or so, all of the books my family and friends get me for Christmas are designed to moderate my politics and nothing else. <laughs> That's it. That, everything, everything is. A, oh, you read this, and you might change your mind on on these fifteen topics. And I'm like, you know, uh, I, I'll read it, but I'm not changing my mind on anything. Yes, here, how to moderate your toothbrush, um, like your left wing toothbrush. <laughs> uh, I, I have one. Wait, we, we've been going to. I have one quick observation on the kids. Are my oldest child is five years old. I have a five year old, a three year old, and a one year old, and we're still like in this weird in between zone where like. Even the oldest, she's in kindergarten now. Like, I don't really like. I don't feel pressure. Neither my wife or I actually like feel pressure on the kids' gifts yet. They they still just kind of like seem happy with like whatever. Really? And w- when does that come like crashing down? Probably in six or seven. Oh, uh, how old is your oldest kid? She's five. Oh yeah. Um. So my my son is turning nine in a few days. Um. And he has reached the point where uh that that phase is over. He is demanding the goods now. Yeah, I feel like seven's probably about the age where you get radicalized. Or like, uh, <laughs> like, well, you didn't even think. Like, you can't just rely on the grandparents to put all the thought in the gifts. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? I thought about this. Right. And right. We we definitely like fall back on the grandparents right now. Cause to them, you know, it's like a like a contact sport. Like, gotta get the grandkids amazing gifts. And yeah, so like, exactly. they're really going all yeah. out. And my wife and I are just like. Oh, you know, they might like a rock. <laughs> a pet rock. Yeah, uh, I, was, I was like looking at our desks like, oh, uh, Amelia, she's wanted eye drops for a while, I think. Um, yeah. She's needed well, nail clippers, as far as I know. My my son wants uh, not only an Oculus for himself, oh, but dear. he wants an Oculus for his younger sister as well. I didn't, so I didn't, wow, I didn't know if people were actually getting those. I thought maybe that was like another hyped thing that didn't really pan no, out. But people the kids. Were, the kids like them. The kids want Oculus. It's not, well, I had a virtual boy. Or I didn't have my friend had a virtual boy, I should say. That was like the first time I heard 3D is going to be big. And if you guys don't know what virtual boy is, Wiki the, the virtual boy is a <laughs> very failed Nintendo system. But anyway, we're going to move on to our very failed transition. I didn't, have a, good, That's I didn't okay. have a good transition. Denny, I don't know if you remember the year 2018, <clears throat> but there was a man named Rashad Penny. He was the number 27 overall pick of the draft, and he was a bust. He entered 2021 with 178 career touches and only six touchdowns, but now he just had the best game of his life against the Houston Texans, and the Seahawks are saying he deserves a shot at the starting role. Should fantasy managers listen, Denny? Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm I'm Ron Burgundy. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he didn't dominate snaps is, is the thing against Houston. I think he had like 60 or 64% somewhere in there uh, snap rate, which is fine, but it's not, um, it's not like it's pretty was, good. I mean, that's like, like a lot of RB twos only play like that many snaps. So you can good. definitely work with that. <clears throat> but la- okay. But last week Rashad Penny was in the prime position to uh, to explode against what is you know over the past month or so has been the worst rush defense in the NFL in in the Houston Texans um, and we all know that Pete Carroll anytime he can establish it he does so they were going to be in position they were heavy favorites against Texans everything lined up for uh, if he could stay healthy which has always been the question for Rashad Penny he was going to get a decent shot uh, to put up big numbers against Houston this week is is very different you know they're they're heavy underdogs at the rams uh the rams are a massive uh, pass funnel defense and rashad penny didn't run that many routes i think it was under 10 yeah, he's like weirdly he entered the league as like a change of pace and like but pass catching he's yeah. He has he has literally 19 career receptions. I'm not sure how that's possible. But. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, uh, in theory, he he should be a decent pass catcher, and he's going to have to you know get more uh, of that sort of production. I think to uh, to hit that RB two level 
this week against the Rams. It's a really, it's like the, the complete opposite uh, position that he was in last week. Yeah, there's lots of other concerning things. I mean, first off, like Pete Carroll says a lot of things. And it was Pete Carroll saying he deserves a shot to be the lead back. But Pete Carroll, I mean, he's just like the definition of he says a lot of things. He does. And, yeah, he, and it was, though, like the first good performance by a Seahawks running back in probably like two months, maybe three months. I'm not sure if Chris Carson ever even reached 100 yards on the ground this season. I don't know if Alex Collins did. I don't think so. Um, but – Definitely, it was the kind of performance that even if, the, even if it, it is the Texans, like a spot where you should go off, like Rashad Penny had been the kind of player, where, like even in spots where he should go off, like he never went off. So you have to take notice of the fact <laughs> that even though it was a really good matchup, he actually did have a good performance, which I've said like a lot of times over the years, like on the show, like like the first box you need to check to be a good player is to like take advantage of your good matchups. So he at least did that. Like you said, this is not – a good matchup in the Rams, but they've been so desperate for like answers in this backfield mm-hmm. that I actually do trust that they're going to like at least give him the work again and like probably 10 to 12 carries like at the absolute minimum and probably a pretty realistic path to 15. And mm-hmm. the player pool, especially running back, is much deeper this week because all 32 teams are playing. Elijah Mitchell's hopefully coming back. Michael Carter is coming back. DeAndre Swift is maybe coming back. So it's really been beefed up, thankfully, like the RB2 ranks. But I do think Rashad Penny, he, I think he deserves a flex shot. Despite, sure. even though this is a great matchup, this is a bad matchup, I do think he at least deserves a flex shot. Yeah, uh, you know, um, the Rams are allowing 18.5% target share to running backs this year. Uh, you know, a lot of, with, with Jalen Ramsey in the in the lineup, a lot of the targets against the Rams go to, tar- to tight ends and running backs. So, that could play into Penny's favor as well. I'm just looking. I'm looking for a path for for Penny here, and i I think I think there's a there's a slim one in in week 15. I think you just discovered Traver, Travis Homer season when you were oh, talking. Wow. And uh, by the Chris Allen's going to talk about Rashad Penny, and he's always got the stats. So I'll be interested to hear what he says. Real quick, Rashad Penny against the Rams or James Robinson against the Texans? Yeah, Penny. I, I'm I'm not I'm not messing with any <laughs> Jaguars player. No, yeah, I think that even though it is this, the the very same Texans uh, that Rashad Penny just detonated, it is. But the but the you know the Jags are for some reason disillusioned with with Robinson. I mean, his usage in Week 15, 14 was better than it was Week thirteen, but still still wasn't fantastic. I mean, that had to do with game script. I don't, this is a tough one. Good grief. I mean, mm. yeah, too. I'm going to make a, a reference to Zoomers. No, there's. I think there's going to be a mutiny on the bounty though uh, with Jacksonville. <laughs> And the, the players are basically forcing Urban Meyer to use James Robinson. But, yeah, I agree. Like I have James Robinson outside outside the top 24, which would have been inconceivable a few weeks ago. But I do have him ranked ahead of Rash- Rashad Penny for now, but these are my very initial rankings. Yeah, anyways, instead of going through that, we'll just move on to our next topic. Justin Fields was the QB7 in Week 14, even as he committed three turnovers, including a pick six. But he did continue to look more dangerous with his legs and he was finding his pass catchers in stride. That is the thing. Like, if you didn't see the game somehow, if you're only checking out the box scores, he had the two long TDs, but they were both of, like, the yards after catch variety for Justin Fields. So just be aware of that. But he had been playing better. This was maybe his best game of the season despite the turnovers. Denny, is it finally Fields' season heading into a matchup with the Vikings defense that is permitting the fourth most QB fantasy points? It is, and and it has a lot to do with his, you know, rushing uh, upside and, and rushing prowess. Uh, as obviously the best athlete on the field at any given moment, thirty six rushing attempts over his past four full games. Okay, this is excluding the one where he exited early against Baltimore, I believe. Uh, so you know that that's that's where it's at, as the Zoomers would say, is uh, is is you know his ability to to produce those yards and, and possibly touchdowns on the ground and make up for the mistakes that will, they will come. I mean, you know, he's, he's not going to have a perfect game here. He's probably going to throw a pick or two and hopefully for the bears, one doesn't go back for a touchdown. Um, but it, it's, it's clear that he is viable as like a high end QB two here. Yeah. And it, it's the rushing, like you said, his past four starts, like not past four starts, past four appearances where he didn't depart with injury. He has reached eight carries in each of those four. So it's not just 36 total. Like, so it wasn't one game where he had like 14, you know, one game where he had four, where it's been consistent, where, yeah, at least eight attempts in four straight games. Like, that'll really play 
for a quarterback. And the Vikings, you know, they give up a lot of big plays. They have a lot of injury issues. I don't know what the exact state of the Vikings defense is this week. They will be a kind of a mini buy coming off Thursday night football. So presumably they, they might be a little healthier, but the, the running, like that's undeniable at this point. Even the game before that, his his fifth most recent is already at six carries for 43 yards. Uh, he's reached at least 38 yards rushing in five straight games. So like, that's not a fluke of the, Like he's like, he's actually dual threading. Whereas earlier in the year, you know, he was consistently being held under 10 yards rushing because they just weren't allowing him to run. And like, he, he has more confidence. Now. He's, he's, he's going down the field. Like he is picking his spots and run. I mean, either he wasn't allowed to, or he just wasn't comfortable doing it, but he's doing it. And he, he's big play hunting. That was always going to be the key for him as a rookie. Cause we knew he'd be like, you know, he'd be a little raw. He wouldn't be mm-hmm. like a, like a finished product, like right off the bat, but he needed to hit big plays. That was always going to be like his recipe as a rookie. And it was completely non-existent the first four or five weeks, but now he's actually started looking down the field and he's actually running. And yeah, I, yeah. He's a pretty high-end streamer this week. Yeah. Uh, also, the um, the Vikings have been vulnerable to rushing quarterbacks this year. They played Kyla Murray in week two. Uh, he rushed six times to 31 yards and a touchdown. And then Lamar Jackson played the Vikings in week nine, 21 rushing attempts for 120 yards uh, and a near touchdown, if I remember correctly. So, um, you know, they, they have struggled to stop this uh, dual threat type of quarterback that Justin Fields obviously is. Tell you, you know what would be good for Justin Fields is if Allen Robinson had any interest in wow. playing football for the Chicago Bears. I, but <laughs> I mean, you know, to be fair, look, the 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 Bears had Allen Robinson on Sunday night blocking for Jakeem Grant on a, on wide receiver screens. They well, were you like, gotta, you gotta do it. All right, Allen, your job is to block for the guy we signed off the street twenty five minutes ago. I mean, they, they, the bears clearly have no desire to get, get Allen Robinson involved. Well, it's because they seem to sense his lack of desire. I'm sure as part of it, but also a big, to be fair was the bears basically did hold him hostage this season. Like he, he like desperately wanted a long-term deal. Like they never even like negotiated with him, like a very, very toxic situation yeah. there. And these are two sides that I think really need a change of scenery. And Alan, just, just don't, just don't curb Darnell Mooney style, please. We need Darnell uh, actually doing some stuff for the fantasy playoffs. Uh, Denny Cam Newton led an opening drive score against the Falcons, but then it was back to the bottom of the barrel. Punt, pick six, punt, lost fumble, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. He was benched for P.J. Walker twice. Walker was barely better. Coach Matt Rule has claimed Newton remains a starter, but that Walker knows the two-minute offense better, which, I mean, we're really uh, – grasping a straws here yeah. uh, uh matt rule but can, is there any way cam newton can be trusted against the bills as a qb2 streamer because we know that even if pj walker like comes in as like like the starter or like the bulk quarterback that cam's going to be in there in the red zone is, but is cam just too risky in a week where all 32 teams are playing the player pool is very deep against the bills defense allowing the fewest fantasy points to quarterbacks i would say that I have no taste for either Carolina quarterback. I mean, I, I, I sort of get it. Maybe like if you're in super flex and you know, you're, you're really hard up for a quarterback, you know, maybe you plug in cam and hope for a rushing touchdown, but uh, man, the fact that the fact that he seemingly gets benched or pulled or yanked, whatever it is like twice a game now, uh, I, I don't think that, I think that that just destroys his, his fantasy viability. Yeah, he is up to three benchings over his past two uh, starts, which is about three more benchings than I typically prefer from my QB streamers. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I will say, I mean, he's definitely still super flex viable. I mean, he wouldn't be your first choice at this point, but as we know, I me mean, is basically a goal line running back. And he was definitely the goal line back mm. over Chuba Hubbard last week. And again, like even if PJ Walker, like like Matt Rule's like, all right, PJ Walker is going to like play like all like the normal like quarterback snaps we know like cam newton will be like the Taysom hill role like on steroids because he is <laughs> yeah. he is the weapon inside the 20 yard line yeah. especially inside the 10 yard line so there is a case where you can like get him in there and hope for a touchdown or two but i agree that it's gotten too risky to, to be streaming cam newton. like you cannot treat him right as like a, a real deal streamer he's like a desperation super flex basically i think it could it could get pretty ugly i think this this game uh the the bills have Bills are angry. They are. They're mad. Uh, 
And they're also cowards for not trying to drive the stake through the Bucks' heart at the end of that game. <laughs> uh, and I hope they miss the playoffs for it. But, you know, they, they, uh, they have the league's third highest uh, pressure rate on quarterbacks. And the Panthers' offensive line has been quite the mess over the past three or four weeks. I, I think that ne- that both Carolina quarterbacks are in for a, a world of hurt here. Yeah, that is the thing. Is P.J. Walker is not the answer. <laughs> Uh, seems fair to say. And boy, they're talking about not the answer. Now they're talking about Sam Darnold again. This is just like a team. They really need the offseason to get here at this point, the Carolina (laughs) Panthers, because they are 0 for 3 at the quarterback position. Travis Kelsey has been held under 30 yards receiving in back-to-back games. Has only one touchdown over his past eight appearances. Mm His 1.81 yards per out run would be a new career low. Though his average of six yards after the catch would be his most since Alex Smith was quarterback. His uh, Travis Kelsey's 7.7 A dot is also his lowest since Alex Smith was the quarterback. So what I'm kind of like building here towards Denny is Kelsey's recent slump. Is this like the age curve or is this just a matter of the Chiefs like really conservative offense? Like what what is going on with Travis Kelsey? Is he slumping or is this the offense? I think I, th- I think it's I'm going to take the coward's answer and say it's a little of both, Pat. It's a little of both. Uh, it's it's the fact that the the Chiefs are committed to winning ugly, and it's it is ugly. It's just know, the except- worst development. I mean, the 21st century has been kind of rough in America, but this is <laughs> this is the worst development of the entire past 21 yeah. years. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, no other significant developments no. in 21st century. So. Uh, God, now you, you have me completely rattled. Uh, it, Travis Kelsey, it's a little it, bit of both. Yes, Kelsey, he plays for the Chiefs. He's the tight end. And um, I, so him and uh, Tyreek Hill have had their fantasy upside completely destroyed by this new approach, this check down, run the ball, take what the defense will give you approach by the Chiefs. And it's, by the way, the, uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, the worst part is that it's working beautifully. Okay, that this approach is—it's perfect. The Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, being a defensive <laughs> team that runs the ball. Congratulations, Chiefs fans! Yeah, I hope you're happy. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, because I'm not. And and so, at what yeah, cost? At what cost? At what cost? The, the cost is all my redraft teams. Actually, <laughs> the, you mentioned it, but uh, um, yeah, and and you know, Tyreek Hill has five deep targets over the past four games okay oh, he, he has 18 on the season after being second in the league last year so it's um it's it's not looking good for either of, of those pass catchers i mean by the way and i think one thing that we're kind of missing overall in fantasy is the fact that travis kelsey is going to lose the uh tight end one crown this year it's it's mark andrews unless mark andrews gets hurt he's going to be the tight end one and it's, it might not even be close depending yeah, but- on kelsey's production and this is the first week where I'm not ranking Travis Kelsey's the title. I have him behind both Mark Andrews and George Kittle. Not entirely positive on the final ranking there. I haven't done my deep dive yet, but this was the first week where it was kind of undeniable. You, you couldn't like fudge the numbers anymore, yeah. basically. Like Travis Kelsey is behind both those guys right now. The, the, that is a complicating factor, though, for this week is that he did catch seven passes for 104 yards in week three against the Chargers. Yes. And the Chargers allow the sixth most tight end fantasy points. So that is a bit of a complicating factor here. It's been a good matchup for tight ends all year and one that Travis Kelsey has already taken advantage of. But yeah, he's just not on the same level as Mark Andrews and George Kittle right now. Yeah, Chargers giving up a top 10 uh, target. <clears throat> Excuse me, top 10 target. Wow. <clears throat> Excuse me. Welcome to my world. Wow. Uh, top 10 target rate against tight ends. And so this is obviously the week that Kelsey goes off. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's the, that's the science. That's how it <laughs> works. I mean, I can't, this next topic, I mean, it's all, people are real life lolling at me for going to go to the mall. Please don't real life <laughs> loll at us for this topic. But here we go. I'm going to count, I'm going to count in this topic since it's so dramatic. Three, two, one. Denny Davis Mills has posted 300 passing yards. And each of his past two starts, that is over a span of seven weeks. But the fact remains that Mills has actually had a few good performances, while Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson have not. With Justin Fields as his only competition right now, has Mills been the best rookie quarterback not named Mac Jones? Yes, yes, I think so. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, cancel the show. We a good football run had a, a good football show had a good run. It did. It did. And and I think we'll we will log off now. Now, you know, um, and I, I think that you know from a volume aspect, we could see more from Davis Mills in the coming weeks. Uh, Dave Cully told reporters after after an entire off season and season of saying we're going to establish the run, we're gonna we're gonna run the ball as much as possible. They they don't have any running backs left. All right, David Johnson was activated off COVID nineteen list. Rex Burkhead is dealing with a hip injury. Uh, they they they're a mess. Scotty Phillips might be in play this week in the Houston backfield. Anyway, Dave, even Dave Cully kind of uh, said uh, we might just have to pass. Like we might have to not do that thing where we try to establish a run. And so he he could see you know he could be a volume based option going forward in in superflex. Yeah, he's actually had the volume, and it's just hard to ignore with Davis Mills is. So Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, they're in hopeless setups. They haven't done anything in those hopeless setups. They have the alibis and the hopeless setups. But Davis Mills is also in a hopeless setup. And despite being in this just completely horrible setup, he's popped up a few times. Like he hit a great game against Bill Belichick. Yes. That was one of the weirdest things of the entire season. (laughs) That was back in like week four, but he had a 300 yard, three touchdown performance against Bill Belichick. He had 300 yards and two touchdowns against the Rams on Halloween. Uh, The Sunday was a little emptier against the Seahawks, but again, 330 yards and he's had a lot of bad games, but the fact that he's actually overcome these awful circumstances for like a few genuinely good games, Mm -hmm. that is always a good sign of a rookie quarterback. And yeah, it's something the number one and two picks have not done while Davis Mills has done. And I hate to say it, but it it sort of seems like he does deserve a, a chance to like win this job in 2022. It does. I think it does. You know, especially if you know, depending on where the Texans fall in the draft order. But yeah, he, uh, Mills has a lot of excuses built in, uh, as does Trevor Lawrence. But Trevor Lawrence has been far worse by almost any measure. Okay, uh, and and Zach Wilson has been atrocious by every measure. So, yeah, Denny has already declared the Zach Wilson era over. You've called. Yeah, him no, they they the Jets they have to move on. They have to. Oh, man. Uh, um, th- this season it's a Josh Rosen R- oh. Josh Rosen situation there. I think, unfortunately, there's no Kyler Murray in this upcoming quarterback class. I've been told by the people in the know that it's a really bad draft class. But, yeah, you just have to take notice of Davis Mills. He's in – the situation is as bad as the Jags or Jets in terms of, like, a talent standpoint. But he actually has good games occasionally. So you have to take notice. One more news topic that we're going to get Chris Allen. And we had Chris – Waiting in the what I was gonna say the waiting room. I need to think of a better name than that. But he, the he's been like he's been he's been sitting around for a hot minute listening to us talk. But he's about to join us after we talk about the Buffalo Bills, who finally woke up in the second half against the Bucks, Denny. But it was just too late. Now Josh Allen has a toe injury. Emmanuel Sanders is out with a knee injury. The Bills still have no running game to speak of. Where are we at with this Bills offense headed into Sunday's game against the Panthers? Uh, I think we're just going to, you know, just play Gabriel Davis with some confidence. I think that's that's pretty much where where we are. Uh, he, you know, Gabriel Davis ran ran a route on 80% of Josh Allen's dropbacks last week against the Bucks. He caught a touchdown on I believe eight targets with Emmanuel Sanders out with that sprained knee. Sanders is not going to play this week and wouldn't shock me if he doesn't play for a while. And so and Davis is Davis and and Dawson Knox are the only game in town when it comes to red zone and end zone targets for Josh Allen. So I think, I think where, where we are with this offense is they get a, an, an okay matchup here. Uh, Allen should play. And I think we can be pretty comfortable plugging in Davis into lineups. Yeah. I think Allen's going to play. I mean, he had the benefit of adrenaline on Sunday, but he played through it on Sunday, which is always a good sign. And it, it's probably never actually good for someone to get hurt. And like clarify the offense, so to speak. Like the Bills, I'm sure by the letter of the law are probably better with Emmanuel Sanders out there. You're running his great routes, attracting attention from the defense, but it at least clarifies the target tree where now Cole Beasley's targets floor is going to be a lot higher. Gabriel Davis is going to get more volume finally. And when Gabriel Davis gets more volume, like good things always seem to happen. Yeah. This makes big plays, has a nose for the end zone. I keep comparing him to Kendrick Bourne, even though they're like different style players. He just reminds me of Kendrick Bourne, really. Yeah. He like, finds a way to make plays. And so it's definitely good from a fantasy perspective that has been clarified. And then even with all 32 teams now back in the player pool, I think Gabriel Davis, you can take a wide receiver four flyer on him this week. 
as long as we're talking about the Buffalo offense, I feel as the tight end guy for NBC Sports Edge, I feel obliged to tell you that Carolina gives up the second highest tight end target share uh, this season. So it is Dawson Knox season. This, this does feel like a Dawson Knox spike week. I have him in the top eight in my initial tight end rankings. And we're going to finally be back with Chris Allen, welcoming him out of the green room right after this. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Give the gift of NBC Sports Edge Plus this holiday season. Get 15% off your annual subscription when you use the promo code HOLIDAY15 at checkout. That is HOLIDAY15. This offer turns to coal, Denny, on December 31st. <laughs> so visit NBCSportsEdge.com slash Edge Plus today. We are headed down the backstretch of the NFL season and the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet has you covered with Sunday Night 7. We're giving you a shot to win $1 million every Sunday night throughout the rest of the regular season. It is free and easy to play, so predict what will happen this Sunday between the Saints and Bucks for a chance to win. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. Now we would love to welcome in NBC Sports Edge contributor Chris Allen. He posts a daily dose for us every Thursday morning. He contributes to our Sunday recap show. He controls the weather. He is Chris Allen, <laughs> FFWX on Twitter, and he's here to talk some players with good matchups for the fantasy playoffs. Chris, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, Pat, just let you know uh, this weekend, uh, the extra time that was spent like waiting uh, behind the scenes and whatnot, that'll be reflected on this week's timesheet. That's more than fair. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. And I know that this time of the season for a lot of folks, it's it's really that critical time where we want to make sure if we don't have the best players in our lineups, we at least have some of those guys that can uh, provide at least a solid floor. And if you want to inject some volatility into your lineups, okay, fine. But you don't want to wind up with a zero. So at least there should be some sort of, I guess, sense of security when we start most of our players. Like I wouldn't really recommend anybody out of, let's say, Detroit's backfield to start this week, right? Where it's just, oh, yeah, they could fall into the end zone, sure. But at the same time, you could wind up looking at your roster at the end of Sunday with like a zero from Jamar Jefferson or somebody like that. So I think it's good to kind of walk through the discussion about not just the matchups for week 15 but weeks 15 through 17 and try and figure out okay who can we at least try and stash on our benches now to even start this week depending on the matchup and then figure out okay who's going to give us that type of let's say high floor with access to a ceiling as well like once we get into this point of the season a lot of really good points there and you had me if deandre swift doesn't play you can already see Craig Reynolds is like giving people zeros in the first uh-huh. week of the fantasy playoffs. Like, yeah. well, he had 80 yards. He was kind of explosive, 11 carries, and this, yeah, he doesn't play for some reason. Yeah. And everyone yeah. gets a zero. That is, that's like too real. And by the way, we have, we have, I'll get you the rate off here. We have a very high rate, though, for sitting and listening to Denny and, and I talk. <laughs> that will be reflected on your timesheet. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. I, 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 by the way, I don't appreciate you talking about my RB1, Craig Reynolds. Uh, like <laughs> <laughs> but So I, I'll let you reveal some of the players, Chris, but the first guy you want to talk about is Jalen Hurts. And it's a really interesting one because, you know, he was hurt. The last we saw him, like Gardner Minshew, of course, came in and had like, the classic like bridge quarterback, like competent game where he's just like taking check downs, high completion percentage, 
kind of passing performance Jalen Hurts hasn't really given us this year, but Jalen Hurts, a QB1 almost every single week before that. He should be healthy coming off the bye. What is the outlook for Jalen Hurts in the fantasy playoffs? Uh, it has to be nothing but positive. And yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the whole Gardner Binchu thing. I almost want to call it something like uh, Cosmic Ballet, where we couldn't have Gardner Minshew start against, let's say, like the Chargers when uh, like Jalen Hurts had to play with them, or even a tougher divisional matchup against like Dallas or something like that. No, we get not just Jalen Hurts hurt, but Gardner Minshew gets to play against one of the worst defenses in the league in terms of allowing just nothing but positive efficiency metrics for opposing passers. So seeing Jalen Hurts come back and Nick Sirianni, uh, even before the bye week, assured us that Jalen Hurts was going to be their quarterback coming out of the bye, assuming he was healthy. All points indicate that that's going to be the case. And it couldn't be a better matchup for Jalen Hurts this weekend. I mean, Washington, I mean, not to break any HIPAA laws or anything like that, but I believe yesterday they put what eight, nine players on the COVID list. I mean, most of them defensive, uh, most of them defensive players. Uh, not to make light of the injuries that they've had, but Taylor Heineke banged up. Uh, also, Terry McLaurin wound up exiting that game early with a concussion. So being banged up on both sides of the ball not only gives chances for the Eagles to continue to have more offensive drives, considering their uh, defensive line is one of the best in the league. Washington's one of the worst. It just sets up Jalen Hurts up for a positive game environment. And even if you d- want to discount him as a uh, as a passer, I mean, rushers against Washington, I mean, even mobile quarterbacks, not even, let's say, uh, like the Josh Allen's of the world and, and the uh, players like that, but what Daniel Jones back in week two nine for ninety nine for ninety five and a oh touchdown. Gosh. I mean Cam Newton in his time back, of course, he is the quintessential mobile quarterback. Ten for forty six and a touchdown when he was screaming the whole "I'm back" thing, which wound up backfiring in the most egregious <laughs> that was, fashion. That was tough. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it's been it's been that way for <laughs> against Washington. So that I think Jalen Hurts like really has the runway in order to be a fantasy quarterback one, and it's not just from the rushing standpoint but also the passing standpoint i mean since uh the eagles have really gone to this like run heavy based attack they've been more efficient like on the ground which has helped jalen hurts like not necessarily from a stats perspective but the eagles have continued to push the ball down the field they've been top 12 in yards per drive like since doing that i mean just on the fringe so it's like the product the productivity for the entire offense is there, the efficiency is there, and then of course Jalen Hurts as a rusher is always something that we want to count on. So I think Jalen Hurts throughout the fantasy playoffs, two matchups against Washington, one against the Giants, and we just saw them get lit up by uh, Justin Herbert and his howitzer for an arm. So it's just I think all of it sets up for Jalen Hurts to be a, a quarterback one through the next three weeks. Yeah, I was hoping you'd list the whole schedule. It's versus Washington versus the Giants at Washington. So yeah. hard for it to lay out better. Jalen Hurts, and by the way, I don't, I don't think Jalen Hurts could have done that against the Jets with Gardner Minshew. Did no one's ever done that against the Jets? No, it's, a, it's impossible. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also, you know, uh, as someone who watched that game, uh, you know, the the uh, thing was Dallas Goddard was wide open on those two touchdowns. <laughs> I, I'm talking, I'm talking like no one within 10, 15 yards of him. So uh, it, it's not, it's not like Gardner Minshew, you know, like dr- like threw a ball between triple coverage and and Goddard came down with it. These, this was any, literally any quarterback could have made those throws. Not, not taking away anything from Minshew, but I am mm-hmm. just going to point that out. Yeah, his yeah. next gen passing chart was pretty funny that day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was not, it was not the one. Again, it's hard to come off the bench and do that, but it wasn't, it was not something they should be creating a quarterback controversy. No, but of, but of course, I mean, after we watched so much of Minshew, the what the whole Minshew mania thing when he was in Jacksonville, and then seeing him come and do this again in Philadelphia, it's like, of course, we needed something to talk about. So I get it. I get it. But still, I think Jalen Hurts should be their quarterback one, not just for the rest of this season, but I'm really hoping they stick with him in 2022 uh, and, and moving on. Uh, but uh, another quarterback that I want to talk about, and I'm sure uh, Denny will probably also have similar thoughts regarding uh, streaming quarterbacks for this week, but Jimmy Garoppolo for this week and also for the fantasy playoffs. I know that even during the offseason for a lot of folks that were doing uh, best ball leagues and whatnot, yeah. everybody was looking at San Francisco's playoff run. Yeah. It was just one of the best. Like, if it wasn't going to be Trey Lance, which obviously that backfired, but it was going to be at least whomever was going to be under center for the 49ers. They just have this excellent runoff like through the fantasy playoffs. I mean, they've got, uh, let's see, who they got. They've got Atlanta this week, Tennessee, and then Houston. It doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> does and not. Then, 
Jimmy G, for all intents and purposes, has been an efficient quarterback. I think it was week nine when George Kittle came back. And then at that same point, Brandon Ayuk was now getting over, he was playing over 90% of the team snaps. And at that pivot point in their, in their season, since then, Jimmy G has been fourth in EPA per play, fifth in completion percentage over expected. I mean, these are fairly high marks for a quarterback that we, we essentially consider to be. I know I've seen rumors about him being like the Browns next quarterback if they wind up moving on from Baker Mayfield. So it's like, even if they move on from him this season, he's played well enough in order to be in, at the very least, the top 16 discussion. He just doesn't have that same ceiling as some of the other quarterbacks do because of how the 49ers run their offense. I mean, they're 29th in pass rate over expectation. Really, the only thing that's saved is Bacon from a uh, from a fantasy perspective is the fact that they do have a 59.1% passing rate like while they're in the red zone. We saw him, I mean, complete that. Uh, was it the dump-off pass to Brandon Ayuk in overtime against Cincinnati just this past week? And as a Cincinnati fan, like that game took years oh. off of my life. <laughs> But, I mean, it's still good enough that I think given the matchup for uh, for this week against Atlanta, and I believe they just lost their starting safety to a season-ending injury, Atlanta did, and then also uh, Tennessee and Houston, like with their upcoming matchups. I mean, Jimmy G is a guy that you can easily pick, off the, uh, pick up off the waiver wire and start him through the fantasy playoffs if you have, let's say, uh, if you have like Lamar Jackson and you don't know if he's going to be able to go. Or if you've been kind of streaming along the way, I think Jimmy G is the guy that you can most likely start without having too many qualms about having in your starting roster. He's a he's a perfect process play this week. Talking about Jimmy G, you know, uh, the Niners have a twenty seven point two five implied total. That is the fourth highest of the week as of this recording. Um, Atlanta's defense, like you said, you know, uh, lots of injuries dealing with that that injury at safety. They give up the eighth highest uh, EPA per play on the season, so uh, everything lines up for Jimmy G and and you know every Niners skill position player, honestly, to potentially have a big day here. Yeah, and Jimmy G's just he's doing what you have to do if you're like a lower volume quarterback where he's been very efficient, he's been very explosive. But you know, it wouldn't be possible without Kyle Shanahan designing the offense. But he's averaged over eight yards per attempt in seven of his past eight starts. He's getting two touchdowns almost every time out. He's doing a good job of actually using his weapons. You know, Debo Samuel all year before they turned him into a running back, he was finding Debo every week. He's been finding Brandon Ayuk since they've allowed him back into civilization. And since George Kittle is finally got healthy, he's locking in on George Kittle. So he's just like doing the things you need to do as like as like a process play, yet QB2 streamer. Mm-hmm. And as Chris, I mean, the schedule this could not be better. So yeah. it, it is like a slam dunk for the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And even when he's been pressured, like Cincinnati was trying to get to him like all throughout the game and teams have done the same. I mean, they've gone up, gone up against a number of tough defense. I mean, just looking at the division that they play in. But so far, I mean, he's just he's 20th in pressure rate. And even when teams have gotten to him, he just falls a few steps back and then just dumps it off to George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debos. I mean, just the, the options are there for them in order to continue to gain yards after the catch. I remember seeing the stat, and I had to check it to make sure, but I think almost like 48 to 49% of his total yardage has been gained on yards after the catch like since week nine, which is just ridiculous <laughs> to ridiculous. think about. But if you've got all these speedsters, and if you've got these guys that just continue to create after the, after the catch, then I guess it makes some sense, but it's just... I don't know, like Jimmy G, like he might not be the guy that we always feel like starting, but everybody's going to want to start all of his pass catchers. So you have to want to play him as well. That's and, good- and Chris, you have to be hoping as a Bengals fan that he goes to the Browns because he'd just be a disaster. <laughs> oh, it'll be great. Yeah, it'll be great. I mean, he'll be able to play behind such a great offensive line, but still, I mean, those those yearly matchups twice i mean i'll i'll be i'll be definitely wanting to watch he seems like a creation of kyle shanahan Uh, one uh one more thing on the falcons there uh they have a league low 17 percent pressure rate this year so jimmy g will probably be sitting in the pocket very comfortably this week man yeah chris who is the next player for the fantasy playoffs uh, the, for the fantasy playoffs, I think Javante Williams is a guy that I know a lot of folks have been itching to start throughout the season. This, this is what we need. 
Yeah, I mean, so he's the one that everybody from like from dynasty to redraft. I mean, the hype has been there the entire season. We saw him go off against Kansas City uh, just a couple weeks ago, and he continued at least being uh, productive for, as a from a fantasy aspect this past week. Melvin Gordon wound up at least coming in and out of the game with yet another injury. I think he hurt his hand at some point during the game. But overall, I think Williams has been able to deliver on not being just a runner between the tackles. I mean, he has about a 45.6% success rate on all of his carries so far. So that's just a ratio of positive effect, expected points added like on the plays that he's had. And so being, being that as it may, like while Gordon has been somewhat of a more efficient runner, I mean, Williams has just really been there as a receiver. I mean, he had over a 20% target share in the game that Gordon went out. I mean, his efficiency so far, like he's top 20 in terms of yards per route run. That's a PFF stat. And then if we look at his targets per route run, and so that actually looks at team intent, like how often you're out there on the field running routes and how often the quarterback is going to be looking for you. He's at a 20.4% uh, targets per route run. And just to give you a sense of who the other running backs that have similar numbers around him, let's say Alvin Kamara has a 23.6% targets per route run. Aaron Jones, 19.2%. Leonard Fournette, 22.6%. So it's like the running backs that he's around in terms of the like how much he's used and the intent that Teddy Bridgewater has for if Javante Williams is out there running a route, it's similar to the other RB1s in the league. And so seeing him be that dual threat running back, like right out of the gate, right now, I mean, with the, uh, the matchups that they've got throughout the fantasy playoffs, Cincinnati this week, the, the Raiders who have just, I mean, they, they it's just too much to overcome. They're waiting all for the, the next coach. They, yeah, exactly. And then, of course, the Chargers, whom everybody tries to run on as well. We even saw Saquon Barkley get in the box this past week against them. So it's just so many of those matchups are positive for him. I see just nothing but success for Javante Williams like throughout the fantasy playoffs. And we just know the volume will be there, too, because we've, we've seen the floors completely crumble for the Broncos' big three at receiver so to speak. And just, it seems like the running back touches, the backfield touches just somehow keep going up and up and up. So even with Melvin Gordon, it's a sprained thumb for Melvin Gordon, by the way, but they say he's going to play even with Melvin, you know, it's like triggering every fantasy manager out there by still being good. There's going to be enough volume. And the schedule is just really, really, really good. I, I have to say uh, fantasy managers are making a, uh, a bad name for us all with they their, are with their trolling of, of Melvin Gordon and their hatred of Melvin Gordon is a fine running back. Yeah, yeah. I mean he could be if he was like on the Bucks, he'd be like the RB like three or four. He'd be the RB one. I mean like it's okay that a team has two. I know it's frustrating. I know I've been there. But Javante Williams, you know, is gonna have to get it done on, on limited volume for as long as there's no reason. Okay, so it's not like a Zeke situation where the Cowboys are just being stubborn as hell. Yeah. Zeke, right? Yeah. I mean, Melvin Gordon is producing. Like He's last week, good. he was really explosive. I, I don't get it. No, and I think even from an efficiency standpoint, to your point, Denny, I mean, Melvin Gordon actually had the greater success rate from a, from a rushing standpoint, and he was actually running into more stack boxes. I mean, Melvin Gordon was running into stack boxes before he got hurt on 70% of his plays, and yet he was still posting a higher success rate than Javante Williams throughout like all of the games that they were playing together. So it's like, why, but everybody just wants Javante Williams to be a thing because they look at, I mean, the you you can see the highlights that the NFL like puts out like on yes. their Twitter, like each week. And it's always Javante Williams, like dragging one, two, three guys, <laughs> like for, you know, for like eight yards or something like that. Right. It's almost like they want to make him like the next AJ Dillon, almost like right out of the gate. But it's yeah, like yeah. Melvin Gordon's been a good player too. So it's a, I don't know. Has, I don't get it. It's just, it's a rare situation where both guys are actually good. This yeah. is not a Jamal Charles, Thomas Jones situation. <laughs> yeah. We'll remember this. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and this is, a, this is a thing where like Javante is playing alongside another really good running back. Right. And the sad part is, I think for Melvin Gordon, it's that like he sees all of it. I mean, there was a I think he does see it. Written, yeah. No, there was like, an article written. There's some very week. sad quotes about it. <laughs> yeah, like he's just like he's seen all the stuff, and he knows that the fans just like they they don't like him, and they want Javante Williams to be there. But he's still been a productive runner at 28 years old. If I was still that effective as a running back, I'd be like, forget y'all. Like I'm, I'm here to get, I'm here to do my thing yeah. and do it well. And he has, and I, I hope he goes to another team like not the Texans or anything like that, oh, where you can continue It's going to be shine. the Texans, but... It probably <laughs> will be, which is going to make me mad. But like, actually, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, if he took like a really, like a 
not league minimum, but just like a decent deal. What if he went back home to like the Chargers or something like that and just yeah. played behind Austin Eckler? Because uh, I mean, that's like been a really critical missing piece for the Chargers this year. Yeah, I know it would suck for fantasy, but just like I want him to have at least a good end to his career. But I don't know. I mean, overall, I think for Denver, with the fact that they are like bottom five in terms of neutral passing rate on early downs, and each of the teams that they're going up against are bottom five in terms of like adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, except for Cincinnati, they're like 17th or 18th. I mean, it all sets up for Denver to continue what they do, and they should continue to feed Williams first. At the very least, he's the 1A, but either way, both of them should be productive throughout the fantasy playoffs. I can't believe Chris thinks that Melvin Gordon would beat out Larry Roundtree for the Chargers. This is, uh, <laughs> it's not a sacrilege at this yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, who? So the next player, I'm gonna I'm gonna tease the next player again, uh, Rashad Penny, who Denny and I have already talked about. So let's get your take on Rashad Penny because we we I feel like we kind of came down in uncertainty. So give us some Rashad Penny big facts. Well, I just like the fact that he immediately came in and he had a 64% rushing share. Like I know it was against Houston, whom anybody can run on Houston. I think that's the I mean that's no that's really not a secret, but it is the fact that like Rashad Penny wound up having like a 43.8% success rate against Houston. That's the highest mark of any Seattle running back since week 6. I mean, the Alex Collins was the last one to actually be more efficient like as a runner for them. I think it allows them, and it's not just what Penny can do as a runner. I mean, of course, we love to see what the 25, 27-yard run that he took and then also the 45-yarder that he took to the house as well. Having that in your bag of tricks, definitely not a bad thing. But it's also what it allows the offense to do as a whole. I I know for Pete Carroll, for all of his talk about like they want to try and establish it, like so on and so forth, but it's also about finding balance within the offense itself. I mean, Russell Wilson, he's not capable of doing like all of the Russell Wilson things that he has in years past. And for the first like few weeks after he came back from the finger injury, I mean, he was passing a ton, like trying to pass a ton, but he was, I mean, completely inaccurate, especially in that week 10 game. It was awful. But in the first like, uh, but in the few weeks after that, when they started to find some more balance, their efficiency started to pick up. I mean, they were at least around like 20th in the league in terms of EPA per play. But this past week, they were up to top 12 where they were able to find that balance without like significantly changing their offense. I mean, they were 18th in neutral passing rate on early downs, like for the first like from weeks 11 through 14 when Russ was like kind of coming back. But this past week, they were down to uh, they were down to 18th. And so like without really changing much. So like my hope is that while Penny has been able to show that he's efficient as a runner, Russell Wilson is at least still being able to do Russell Wilson things where he like pirouettes out of the backfield, like under pressure, like throws a Hail Mary to Tyler Lockett. All that stuff is still there. But if they're still capable of moving the ball with Rashad Penny versus any of the other guys that are currently sitting behind him, like I don't care about Alex Collins, DJ Dallas. I mean, he's really not been able to get it done either. I think it points to Penny being the guy moving forward because it at least keeps the offense on schedule and it helps Russell Wilson can continue to do his thing uh, with the rest of the passing offense. So that's where I would at least point to Penny being the guy, not necessarily because of the volume, but how it helps the offense as a whole. And that's a really good point that Denny and I didn't get to about how he actually created space for the passing attack. And if the passing attack actually has space, that'll create more space for Rashad Penny in a matchup that isn't nearly as good as the Texans were in the Rams, but just anything yeah, that gets this offense more on time, more efficient, it's going to like feed off itself. And that's a really good, it was, yeah, it was the best performance by Seahawks running back maybe all year, um, which, which is like, you know, which is crazy that it took until week 14 for Rashad Penny against the Houston Texans. But that's just a really good point about just not thinking about it from like in a vacuum and a fancy perspective, just what it's doing for the entire Seahawks offense. So that's a really, really good point. Chris, we've got one more player, then you've got a few honorable mentions. Who is the final guy with the great setup for the fantasy playoffs? Uh, so Devontae Parker, I think he comes in as being one of the, I mean, like Denny, he's really never owned. I mean, especially like him <laughs> most of this season because he's either been injured or we've just had these question marks like sur- uh, surrounding the Dolphins passing attack because what they started off the season, what with Jacoby Brissett, then it was Tua for a little bit, and then it was uh, Jacoby Brissett again, then Tua came back at halftime against Baltimore. So it's just been a wild ride for the Miami's passing attack as a whole. And I know like Jalen Waddle is essentially like the guy in Miami because they've really had to, I guess, 
mold their entire offense around this quick passing RPO type of schematic because their offensive line is trash. The running backs really can't do much unless it's Miles get Miles Gaskin out of the Wildcat, like in the like at the five yard line. But with Miles Gaskin, like what he's on the COVID list, Savon Ahmed on the COVID list, uh, Michael Brown, like he might be able to come back from injured re- reserve this week, I think. But with so many players, uh, like so many of their running backs out, to me at least, it looks like they should be able to. Uh, they should continue to lean on their passing game, which they have so far this season anyway. I mean, they're top six in terms of pass rate over expectation. Especially, I mean, and like Tua, for all of his faults, like he's been like top six in terms of EPA per play. And also he's first in completion percentage over expected, which isn't like a massive feat. Like when you're, I mean, when your passes are to Jalen Waddle and like you have like a six or seven yard ADOT, but still being able to move the ball efficiently, moving uh, moving the ball as they have and seeing like at the first, like throughout the first four weeks of the season, Parker had a 21% target share. He came back in week eight, had a 28% target share. It looked like they were easing him back in before their buy because he only he was down to about 12%. But against the Jets, Saints, and Titans throughout the fantasy playoffs, I think that Parker would be one of those guys you could be able to pick up off the waiver wire and start, let's say, as a wide receiver three as that type of option. And he's facing the Jets this week. And he has the overrated Saints pass defense in weeks 16. And then the Titans, which have been giving up wide receiver fantasy points all season for the fantasy finals. Denny, do you have anything to add on Devontae Parker? I think the Dolphins just deciding that they're never going to run the ball is, is, uh, is great for him and <laughs> Jalen Waddle. Uh, and, and, you know, makes both of them, obviously Waddle is, is more than viable as a, is a solid PPR option. I, uh, where do you have him ranked this week, Pat, by the way? Uh, Waddle, I mean, top 18, I can't remember exactly where, but I'm, I'm ranking him as if he's going to catch nine to 10 passes. Right. In, basically he's, the, he's basically the rich man's Hunter Renfro. Uh, I mean, just two unstoppable forces there at, at mm-hmm. wide receiver. And, but yeah, exactly. I'm keeping Jalen Waddle, even though Devontae Parker is going to be a lot more involved this week, but like Jalen Waddle is almost like an extension of that running game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like that creates space for Devontae Parker on the boundary. So the receiver core is definitely big enough for the two. Even though Jalen Waddle has like very rarely had to contend with a healthy Devontae Parker, I think it's big enough for the two of them. And it's like Jalen Waddle's role is secure, and his role will actually help Devontae Parker. So when you have to roll coverage too, yeah. so I think they can coexist there in this receiver core. Yeah, if, if the soft tissue holds up for Devontae Parker, I like yeah. that a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always always yeah. the question there. Uh-huh. But Chris, who are some quick guys to get, send us out of the show with? Uh, so one one is a fairly easy one uh, that probably offers the most upside. But if Tyler Boyd happens to be sitting out on your waiver wire, uh, I would go ahead and pick him up and try and stash him for the next few weeks and see what his target share looks like. I mean, it has started to at least level off over the past few weeks as Cincinnati's passing game, while still more on the run heavy side. But at the very least, if Joe Burrow isn't taking some of those deeper shots to T Higgins and Jamar chase. They have started to find some more like intermediate and short passing game, whether it's CJ Uzoma or Tyler Boyd, but they've both been instrumental in terms of the team continuing to extend drives. I mean, Boyd has been used on a number of like third down receptions in order to help move the ball. So while it's not like he doesn't offer the same, he doesn't have the same touchdown equity as any of the other pass catchers like in the in Cincinnati's offense. But from a from a targets and opportunity standpoint, if you need a guy to give you what four, five, six catches for about 60 yards or so, I mean Tyler Boyd has at least that same type of upside as most of the other guys should be able to play uh, pick up off the waiver wire. But he plays in a much better offense, at least in my personal opinion as being a Bengals fan. But I mean <laughs> for the next few weeks, what they've got Denver this upcoming week, uh Baltimore whose defense can definitely be beat and then also KC uh in the fan championship i mean all three are at the very least either matchups that the uh, Bengals passing game can beat or they're going up against offenses where they're going to be forced into heavy passing scripts especially the kc one so i think like all of that sets up for boyd being a guy that at the very least i would say pick up stash if you are having to deal with injuries or anything like that like the emmanuel sanders injury and all that i mean i would i would easily swap boyd for sanders without too much of a hesitation and then you got you got two more. You got Albert O and Dearness Johnson. What's the quick outlook for these two guys? I mean, so for both of them, it's really just like kind of a volume play. Like Kareem Hunt still dealing with an injury. So we'll see. Like, you know, Dearness could probably fill in for that, you know, 
uh, running back two role behind Nick Chubb. And they also have some decent matchups moving forward. Then Albert O, he has started to have like not slightly separate. Uh, he has started to slightly separate from Noah Fant. And then also looking at oh, it like we were, we were just talking about like the their run out like with Javante Williams, like for the next like few weeks against Cincinnati, against the Raiders, against the Chargers. I mean, all the setups like for Teddy Bridgewater to continue just dink and dunk down the field, which he has. I think he has just like a 7.3 average depth of target. If it's not going to be the running backs, which he has been using quite a bit, I mean, the tight ends or like any of the like the slot receivers, Jerry Judy or Tim Patrick are all in the mix for that. So if you are looking for a punt play like at tight end, I think Albert O like would be a decent ad like for this week. Denny, I think your next book should be on the 2021 Broncos target allocation. Yeah, uh, I think I think a lot of people, I think dozens of people would want to read that. Yeah. Le- maybe a dozen. Yeah, I mean, you could you sell that for you know, ten thousand dollars a copy. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I tweeted Cortland Sutton like if you're going like by the letter of the law, like shouldn't even be ranked anymore. No, like, he doesn't get twenty yards. He's been under twenty yards like five games in a row. It's yeah, totally by the way, insane. Yeah. Albert O might be really good. Like he was, I mean, like, I say this as a Mizzou fan who watched every single one of Albert O's college games. I mean, he's like unstoppable when he's healthy. Like health was always the issue for him. Kind of like another former Mizzou great, Denario Alexander. Oh, was like, yeah. He can like, oh, yeah. stay healthy. Like he was God. like a physical force. Every and, time Denario Alexander played, he scored 25 fantasy points. No, yeah. If you guys want to look, see something crazy after the show, just look up Denario Alexander's sports reference in his college. He was Randy Moss this final season of Mizzou. <laughs> like, his stats are like, will seriously blow your mind what he mm-hmm. did in Mizzou. I'll have to uh, check that out. Yeah, check that out. And that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Like I say, he's on NBC Sports Edge all the time. Check out his daily dose on Thursday mornings. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Chris Allen, FFWX. Always great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. For Chris, for Denny, I'm Pat. We'll be back tomorrow with our first of two Week 15 preview shows. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.